Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 208, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Mackenzie and talk about the steps you should take when you're just starting out on your journey to financial independence. I did a full deep dive into all of my current benefits. And um, given that it is a government job, what sort of salary I am going to get into the future. So in my current position, it will take me 20 years uh, from my start date. And I've only put in one so far to get to a salary of 53000 I do not like that number. And so I am trying my best to figure out other career paths within uh, the government job or if I can find another job entirely. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me, as always, is my Roth-loving co-host, Scott Trench. You know, Mindy, I know it can be really difficult sometimes to come up with a new adjective to describe me every single week or multiple times a week, I guess. But this one is really, well, it seems like this one was not very taxing. (laughs) Zing! All right. Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe that financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or simply get started on the journey to financial freedom, uh, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams. Okay, Scott, I'm so excited to talk to Mackenzie today because she is in a very enviable position that I think a lot of young people find themselves in just starting out, curious, fi curious, but not really knowing which way to go. So we have given her, she's done some research, we've given her some uh, things to think about. And I think if you're listening to this show right now and you are just graduating from high school, just graduating from college, This is going to really give you some things to think about in your own personal financial situation when you are thinking, where should I put my money as I'm trying to grow it for retirement? Yeah, absolutely. I think think she's doing wonderful things. She's got wonderful parents and those her, her parents are a big part of why she's she's in such a great a strong position right now and that's awesome and I think there's a lot of people out there that are in that position um and this is some this you know she's thinking about all the right ways to propel her career and get to fi quickly while living a great life and I think this is going to be a very helpful show for anybody that's getting started or thinking about you know the beginnings of the fi journey Yes. And if you are not in the beginning of your FI journey, think about who is in your life that could use this information. And after you're done listening to it, if you think it'll be helpful for them, share it with them too. Uh, Recent college grads, recent high school grads, I think there's a lot of opportunity for some really serious learning in this episode. Before we bring in Mackenzie, let's do that disclaimer that our attorneys make us say, the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice, and neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal tax or any other advice. You should seek your own financial advisors. Oops. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal tax and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. Okay, Scott, let's go give Mackenzie some financial decisions to contemplate. When it comes to financial guidance, you gotta trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I wanna upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. 
Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Mackenzie is a college grad who is working for the government and knows that she should be saving for the future, but she isn't quite sure how to go about that. She's got some pretty low expenses right now and isn't really sure what her financial independence number is going to be because her expenses will for sure be a lot higher in the future. Or will they? Smart decisions about college allowed her to graduate debt-free, which is a huge leg up on adulthood. Even smarter savings decisions provide her with a bit of a nest egg. Mackenzie, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm so excited to run through your numbers. Thank you. It's great to be here. I've been listening to a lot of your episodes, so it's kind of a surreal experience. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. Uh, let's start off with a little bit of background. What part of the world do you live in and what is your job? Uh, I am in Montana, uh, United States, and my job is working for the government, an office job. And let's look at your income and expenses. Yeah, so currently my salary is uh, $39,311. Uh, stability of the government allows an exact number, so that's fun. <laughs> um, and my expenses usually average about 400 a month, although I've only been tracking it for the last six months. Okay. And how are they only $400 a month? <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, I am living at home with my mom and she doesn't charge me rent and she pays for most of the food. I try to stick in there a little bit, but mostly she has time to go to the grocery stores. So that's how it works out. <laughs> how does the rest of that $400 shake out? Yeah. So Given that I don't have to pay for rent or food, um, the rest of it usually goes to gas. Um, I live across town from work, so that uh, is quite a bit of money, but 
Uh, it's only gas. And then other miscellaneous stuff, I usually spend about $10 each month going out, and my regular subscriptions are around $15 to $20 each month. The other stuff is miscellaneous. You know, looking back on the months that I've tracked, it seems a whole bunch of, of my yearly subscriptions hit, so that might be bringing my number up a little bit. But yeah, it's just miscellaneous stuff as in paying my phone bill for the year, uh, birthday gifts, uh, maintenance on my vehicle, that sort of thing. All right. So how, how much are you able to save at each month net then? Um, is that, is that 39,000 take home or is that, oh, I think we have it here as it's 2000 per month take home. So are you saving $1,600 per month, most months in accumulation? Yeah, basically. Yeah. What are you doing with that? What's your assets and debts and what are you doing with the, with the excess savings right now? Yeah, so in terms of assets, I have a uh, Vanguard, words escape me currently, <laughs> a Vanguard index fund, yes, uh, the VTSAX, um, and I recently put uh, basically the sum of what we got for the COVID payments into that, so started off with 5000 and uh, then I have a government 401k, so that's the Thrift Savings Plan, or TSP, and I take the complete match on that every month. So that is uh, 5%, I think. Um, and then in terms of debts, I don't have any. My parents have been very generous in helping me out. And then just uh, combined with uh, working a little bit to pay for stuff, I uh, cash flowed college and my vehicle is paid off. And uh, I can't think of anything else that would have accrued debt. But yeah. Okay. Well, I'm hearing $1,600 a month in extra money every month. And where is that going? You've got some in a Vanguard VTSAX. Is any of that going into a Roth IRA? Uh, no. So originally, before I found all the financial independence podcasts and got on this train, woot woot, <laughs> um, I was just putting it right into my checking account that uh, had a debit card connected to it, and that's all I did with it, just sat in there. So that's what I did the entire last year. But recently, I've been transferring it over to a savings account that I have that is getting around 0.8% um, in dividends. So yay, <laughs> that's a lot. And uh, that's really the only place that sits, yeah. So so what are what's your goal here? Short-term or long-term? <laughs> Let's do both. What's your short, what's your short and long-term goals here with your finances? Yeah. So within the next year, I would like to begin my first house hack, you know, listening to all the ways to achieve financial independence. That seems like the best way to do it. <laughs> Credit to Scott. I've uh, read Set for Life and that hooked me. And, uh, you know, a year timeline is I I want to stop. I, I know I'm not a burden and I help out um, around the house with my mom and uh, taking care of my little sister. But I would like to stop living here just to be free of that mindset of I can um, live here and have no consequences. I want to take on my own responsibilities. And I guess long-term goals is ultimately I want to make my job non-essential. Not that I wouldn't work, but I don't like not having the flexibility to decide whether I want to. All right. And, and can I ask how old you are and how, how long you'd like to how fast you'd like to get to that point, that latter point? Um, yeah, I, I'm currently 23. I'm going to turn 24 this year. And 
I would be fine with any timeline, but I, you know, 10 years sounds like a good, a good spot to shoot for. Cool. So we need a strategy to get you to FI in 10 years and assuming a little bit of an, of salary growth, but not like explosion there, at least not with the government career, most likely, but a willingness to house hack. And it sounds like try some other creative things. Is that, is that about right? Yeah. I think we can get her there a little bit sooner than 10 years, Scott, based on her lack of spending, her nice nest egg, and a little bit of foreshadowing. She's going to get some help with the purchase of her house. So why don't we talk about that for a little bit? And then I'm going to start giving you a whole lot of things to think about. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Um, (laughs) So as I said before, I'm very grateful for my parents. They've helped me out a lot. And um, my dad has decided to put down $100,000 for my first house. Wonderful. Love it. That's a great gift and I think a fantastic boost. So awesome, 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 awesome for you and and great dad. Yeah. Shout out (laughs) to Mackenzie's dad. Yeah. So several questions around that. I am not in the Montana real estate market, but I do know that it's not nearly as expensive as a New York City real estate market. Could you take the entire 100K and put it into an entire house? Like, could that be the entire purchase price of the house? And is that a better choice than taking it and making that the down payment on like a four unit property where you can have your own space, you have your own unit while you're renting out the other three? In a lot of cases, that scenario has the other three tenants paying your entire mortgage. So then your living expenses are none, which is the same as a $100,000 house that is completely paid for. Or like which one of those options sounds better? And do they even have fourplexes in your area? I guess that's a good question too. (laughs) Yeah. So um, the thing about Montana is if you want to live in the middle of nowhere, I suppose you could probably get a house for $100,000 or a one-bed, one-bath. But in the town that I currently live in, I haven't, I've been looking at the market ever since I started to getting on this stuff, um, just seeing what I could afford in the future. And yeah, nothing, nothing reasonable less than 150000 So I would probably have to get a mortgage on anything that I get. And in terms of the fourplex, you said, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, They're mostly single family houses around here. There's a couple duplexes that I've seen, but they're getting out of uh, my price range. Even believe it or not, even with a hundred thousand dollars down, I'm skeptical that the bank would fund me with my salary. So, okay, that's fair. Have you gotten pre-qualified? I haven't looked into that. No, because my timeline is a year out. So I figured I would keep researching until now, till then. That might be a good thing to talk about with a lender and see, you know, kind of challenge some of those assumptions. I'd imagine with, you know, a, a, what a, th- a forty thousand dollars salary, I would guess that's a ballpark of one hundred and fifty to two hundred thousand dollars mortgage. Does that smell about right, Mindy? Yeah, I would think you'd be able to get qualified for something like that at your salary because we've got such low interest rates right now. Mackenzie, I I believe that if you have a hundred thousand dollars down. And you can qualify for $150,000 to $200,000 mortgage. That puts you into the price range of qualifying for something between $250,000 and $300,000. Is that bigger than what you've been thinking previous to this call? Or is that about the range that you've been kind of hunting in? 
Yeah, I've been uh, looking at rough mortgage calculators, um, putting in my salary and uh, the down payment and figuring how that would change it. And that's about what they have uh, been spitting out, you know, around 275000 But with anything, I was figuring a good target size if I was going single family for the house hacking would be a 3-2. And recently those have uh, skyrocketed in my area. So... So you said that your timeline was a year out. And when you applied to be on the show, you said that you needed a minimum of two years of tax returns to be qualifying for a loan. And I reached out to my lender and said, hey, John, uh, does she need two years of tax returns? I thought it was only six months, especially with the government job. And he said, no, she only needs the six months as long as you got a degree and you're working within that degree. Okay. So if I have a degree in photography and I work for the government doing an office job, does that still apply? I used the degree to get a higher pay. I'm sorry. I made a mistake. As long as she got her degree and the job is full-time W-2 right away. It sounds like you should you should go and reach out to the lender and you know a couple of lenders and see if that timeline can be moved up. But let's think about this at the strategic level. Like right now, you're not paying anything and you're living at home. And so when you buy a house hack, most likely you're actually going to assume some sort of cost for living here, right? Like, uh, what, what what? Well, let's actually let's walk through that. What does a three two look like in terms of rent per room from the other roommates and total mortgage cost for you in this scenario? Um, yeah. Can I ask a quick question? Absolutely. What would be, I guess, in terms of because I'm a total beginner, how would one walk up to a lender? Do I just go into any bank in my town and say, hey, I'd like to have a conversation with you about getting a house? You should reach out to multiple lenders. And I like to do it sitting at my desk, picking up the phone or sending emails and just call your local bank, call credit unions, call big national chains, call mortgage brokers, and ask them for what they can approve you at. What is your rate? What are your closing costs? What are, um, as you start to ask these questions, they'll have answers and more questions for you. And if you do all of this within a really tight time window, 30 days, I like to do it within the same week just to get it all done at once, because then I'm comparing apples to apples. The the market isn't going to change like this in um, within a week, but it could change really drastically within a month. So you're comparing somebody's rates today to somebody's rates three weeks ago. Um, so I like to do it in a tight time window and just write it down. This is what this lender quoted me. This lender quoted me in a big spreadsheet. You're a finance geek, right? Everybody loves spreadsheets. So you put make a spreadsheet of all the quotes that you're getting and Think about who you're talking to, you know, oh, I really like this person. They were very forthcoming or, hey, this person made it seem like I was bothering them. You know, there's a lot to be said for uh, how they treat you as well. But just reach out to a bunch of different types of lenders and get quotes on how they uh, get quotes from them for your particular situation. Yeah, you can phone them or, you know, after you build a relationship, when I need a loan, I just email a couple of the lenders that I already know. And I say, all right, guys, nothing's changed, but here's my income. Here's my my credit score. Here's these types of things. Can I get a quote for a four unit in Denver with this much down um, and this, you know, 
this this rent this protected rent roll that kind of stuff and and they'll typically give me a quote back via email without a credit pull for that assuming those things are correct and then they will verify all of that before I actually transact or offer on it but the the process of reaching out to a lender is not very high stakes at first there's no consequence for calling the lender and asking them hey my, here's my income here's my credit here's what I have down these types of things and what would what would a rate be? Can, can you get kind of get a quote, a pre qualification, not a, without pulling my credit or doing anything like that around the rates? And so it's uh, I think it, I think this intimidates a lot of people, Mackenzie. And it's a great question and one that we Mindy and I look past because we've done it so many times and it's not a big deal to us. But it is intimidating to reach out to the lender. It shouldn't be. Don't don't worry about it. You can just call up and ask, and you can try a few people. Yeah, I'm I'm the one with the power, right? Because I'm <laughs> I'm the one signing up for it. <laughs> You're the, you're the customer. Yeah. Have you spoken to a real estate agent yet? Or do you know real estate agents in your town? I know of one because it just so happens that my mom has a few rental properties. So um, I know who she, she uses and um, she's a family friend. So uh, she's she'll be honest <laughs> with me. Perfect. Perfect. I would reach out to her and ask her to just send you listings that are in the two, what do we say, Scott, 250 to 300 range? Mm -hmm. And look at the properties that are selling. Just see what's out there. Yeah. Look at the properties that are selling and see what, see what's out there and see what's what's going on with that. Do you have any um, specific properties or you, you you mentioned a three, two, how confident are you that a three, two is kind of like what you're looking for, for a house? Well, I was thinking it because of, uh, just the ability to get a roommate and then you know if if only having one roommate was enough for me then we would have one extra room to put any of our stuff in because uh the problem that i'm running up with is that i have pets and i have a whole gaming rig so i take up a lot of space and i don't know how that would fit in any any house with the roommate i'd like to be considerate to what the other person would take up at the same time Okay. Well, well, let's, let's zoom out a couple of years here and think about it more broadly. Cause it sounds like you still have a lot of research and thoughts to do about like kind of what you want, what, what's, what you can qualify for with that. So let's, let's zoom out a little bit from the tactics here, because I think, I think tactically you need to do some homework and figure out what's selling. What are the options? Are there duplexes, triplexes, and quadplexes in your town that you can buy? Can you do a four, two? Are there properties that have one huge master bedroom and a living space with a gaming rig and then three other bedrooms, those types of things. Um, are all tactical things that I think you'll figure out as you study the market a little bit more and look at those options um, with that. But let's think about strategy here. You're, you want to get to 10 years for to FI, and you're willing to house hack. So to me, what that says is this this first one, you know, it really is a stepping stone. It's not a permanent residence. It's not, you're probably only going to be there for a year or two. If Well, do you plan to have the government job? Let's start there for a long time. Do you think you'll be doing this job for the for the most of the career? I'm trying my best to figure out other other solutions because um, the curse of running into this path because there are many blessings, but of course there's got to be a curse in there, is that I did a full deep dive into all of my current benefits. And um, given that it is a government job, what sort of salary I am going to get into the future. So in my current position, it will take me 20 years uh, from my start date, and I've only put in one so far, to get to a salary of 53000 
I do not like that number. And so I am trying my best to figure out other career paths within uh, the government job or if I can find another job entirely. Okay, perfect. So you're not really in love with your job, it sounds like, and you're willing to think about other creative career opportunities. Yes. Currently, it allows me a lot of free time. So that is what, um, you know, when you lo- when you listed out the benefits in Set for Life, you talked about any of the government matching or the any of the employer matches for the retirement accounts, um, the health insurance, that sort of stuff. But what I'm currently getting out of my job is that I have a stable schedule with weekends off and government holidays. So it allows me a lot of time to pursue other things. So that's the struggle that I'm having with um, if I got another job, would it eat up all that time for the money return? And is that worth it if I could work on other things with this one? I love this question. And here's here's my my reaction to that. You're, you're not in love with this. This this is not a high paying job. It's not it has no upside downstream. And I think that in general, it's you. You are in a great position. You got thirty three thousand in savings. You are thinking about buying a property. You've got all that. I think that this is a perfect position to think about. Wait, you you are working full time and you have weekends and government holidays off, but you're not going to start a business or generate meaningful income in most cases. It's it, people can do that, but it's a rare exception in my experience to folks who make a ton of money on the side without some sort of specific skill set with that. And to me, it seems like a better strategy if you're not in love with the job and those types of things is to really kind of think about that career and say like, "Hey, how do I get to a place where I can actually get a salary that could scale?" maybe like a, a real estate agent or a notary or something like that, some sort of work. I put myself in a position to test that out and move into something that's much higher paying. Or can I put myself in position, you know, to get a much higher paying salary? You know, is there a way, am I willing to go back and learn how to code and become a software engineer or those types of things? With a 10-year horizon and a willingness to kind of rethink and zero-base everything, there are lots of options, I think, that can get you to $100,000 in annual income within a three to five year period with much higher probability of success here, or you can try the entrepreneurial route. But I think, I think you're thinking about things the right way. How hard are you willing to look for these opportunities or what have you thought about with this kind of stuff? So given that I, I flew through all of your guys's episodes and now I'm up to date um, and just look for the Monday and Friday releases, I have moved on to other podcasts to spend my time listening to. And one of them is choose FI And one of the things that they talk about a lot on there is the certificate program specifically with Salesforce or yeah, that's right. Isn't it Salesforce? So I have just started their five day challenge where you get basically all the information about that. And I'm going to see if it's a good fit. Um, It's a six month certificate program that is projected a 60 to 80,000 beginning salary. Perfect. That's awesome. Yeah. So, so within six to eight months, if you, if you put, if you put your heads down and go after it, you can get, you can double your salary effectively, um, or at least increase it by 50% and probably with good career prospects in the five years following that change. Is that right? Yeah. And I kind of looks like a blue Mindy's mind there for a second. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, I think with all of the, I don't know what this is. Oh yeah. She's looking up right now. All right, here we go. I am looking it up. Yeah, just uh, uh, the lowest uh, 
lowest salary I've seen with that job uh, starting out is 53. So it would still be a couple of years ahead of my current pay grade raise. So I don't really see many downsides unless I get through the training and it's not a good fit in terms of enjoying the job at least a little bit. <laughs> Love it. I, I I think it's fantastic. I think look that if we if the four levers in finance are earn more, spend less, invest, or create. And my belief right now, based on what you're telling me, is that earn more is the number one place to begin thinking about this. You've got no debt. You've got the the savings account. This is a perfect move. It's I think that taking a risk in your career, or at least exploring some new options, makes a ton of sense if you're not in love with your job and know that the game you're currently. Will not maximize that upside. You're not far enough along to have any meaningful vesting interest in the pension or anything like that, or, or those types of perks that come with government salaries or government jobs in, in many cases. So this, this to me is a, is a perfect way of strategically thinking and very high probability with that. You know, you're not spending anything, <laughs> so there's no budget to cut uh, with four hundred dollars a month um, for this. You know, so so to me that that suggests that the areas of opportunity are going to be in earning more income and then creating or investing. But I don't think right now, based on what I've heard, do, do you feel like you've got an entrepreneurial skill set? Do you feel like you've invested a lot of time learning about entrepreneurship or that you're, you would be, you know, winning, willing to, or wanting to take your crack at a business or, or a serious side hustle? Yeah. So I, I go back and forth on that because, uh, I have a lot of hobbies that could, be turned into a side hustle, but none of them seem scalable. Um, you know, I, I, I knit and I thought about for a time, I was like, oh, I make these uh, hand knit blankets, really soft, you know, people seem to like those so I could sell those, but it's, you know, a lot of time put in. I, I game, so there's a big uh, opportunity for doing uh, gaming YouTube videos or streaming and uh, I play music. I actually uh, just yesterday released my first album. Um, that was kind of more for myself. But so, you know, there's a lot of those options where I, I could make money with it, but I don't know if that would sour my, my love for the hobby. And I'm not sure if I want to take that chance. The gaming YouTube videos was my first thought after you said that you're a gamer are there currently, and I'm not a gamer at all, everybody knows that, are there currently female game YouTubers out there? Because I just hear about the guys. I mean, gaming is, you know, in quotes, it's really male dominated. And I don't know why that is. But I mean, I know that I don't like video games. I don't. My daughters both love them. So, you know, I would much rather have them watch a female game YouTuber to see that it's like, it can be done. Do that. I'm really stumbling over all of this, but do you know what I'm saying? Like if that's an opportunity, that could be a really interesting opportunity. And you already like playing the game. Don't people like, isn't there a thing where you can, people just watch you play video games? <laughs> yeah, that would be an option. If I got into a place, a, a house that had better internet, <laughs> <laughs> that that really is the uh, limiting factor here. But my old place, I, I was on satellite internet. So this is a great step up from that. At least I can play online. But yeah, there it is dominated by males, uh, the gaming sphere. And um, there's a lot of different barriers to entry for uh, women and young girls. And I don't know if you want to get into that. It's kind of a whole nother section. But yeah, I... <laughs> 
um, I, I think I could do it. It just takes the time put in. I, I think I think this is a low probability approach. I I, I don't think it, it's hard for me to see a high probability path to financial freedom through making videos for gaming on YouTube. I imagine that's a very crowded space with a lot of people who are attempting to do that and are willing to lose a large amount of money in the process of doing that or make no money for that. So, so I, I just, it, to me, that doesn't smell like a good, a good option here. It doesn't sound like your entrepreneurial pursuits are very serious at the moment. I, I, I don't want to, I, I don't, is that, is that, is that going too, too far with that? Or is that she made an album? Yeah, but, I, yeah. She made an album. Yeah, but like, come on, Scott. Yeah, I made an album. Like that was for her. <laughs> she released yeah, an album. Was, How I, many albums I, I, have you released? We will, Scott? we will link. We will link your album <laughs> on the show notes at biggerpockets.com/slash/moneyshow208. And, and and that, but you 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 weren't you weren't sounding like this was like a big commercial project. It sounded more like it was for your your own personal interests. Uh, Is that right? Yeah, yeah. The album was. Uh, see the problem is i'm still changing my mindset from before i discovered this fear because i i was never the type of person who set goals when i went to college i was undecided i did the first semester and took a photography class and i was like yep that's it it just clicked in my head so and then i chose that and just went with it for the rest of the time that i was there so i've never been a person who approaches a starting line with an end goal in mind and i don't you know i don't know what you can con- attribute that specifically but since discovering this space it has made me a lot more determined to do stuff and along with listening to bp money and choose fi and all those i've also dabbled in the real estate podcast by bigger pockets and one of the first episodes i listened to was the 12-week year goal setting episode and they talked about um close to how brandon turner does it is you know the 90 day goal challenge where you set out um a goal yet you want to finish in the 90 days and then you break it down week by week and day by day until you can accomplish it and that i had been trying to complete my album for about half of last year and in january i found fi and started the 12 week year that first Monday that I started listening to financial podcasts because I figured if I already know about it, why not start it now? And um, almost made it. I didn't have one song recorded by the end of the 12 weeks, but it worked. And, you know, now I'm looking at all these different goals that I can accomplish. And it's, it's just crazy to see how financial independence and wanting that monetary goal has made me re relook at all of my other personal goals. I love it. This is awesome. This is perfect with this. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. 
Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost, so combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Here's how I would think about the, the situation with this. The strategy for achieving FI, I, I would suggest that you put together a formulaic approach. Boring, doesn't have to do with gaming on YouTube or selling a million copies of your album. Okay, but but I'll get back to that, I promise, in one second here um, with this. I love the approach to take this this course and try to upgrade your, your income by 50% to 100% over the next six months with that thing. I would make that the top priority 
And I continue to think about that house hack with this. I think those are great fundamentals. They're going to move you. You're not going to get rich real quick with that, but that is a really good one-two punch in moving towards your 10-step target or your 10-year target of, of FI. And you keep doing that and you keep saving at this rate. You're going to have a, you're going to be able to dump a lot of money into index funds and build a, sol- a solid real estate portfolio if you house hack a few times and get your numbers right. In addition to that, if you are very driven like this, I love that. That's the perfect way to approach it. With these these businesses that you're suggesting, they're they're long shots. Doesn't mean that they're bad, but nine out of ten businesses fail. And so, to me, the answer to nine out of ten businesses failing is start ten businesses. Um, so this is perfect with that. So what I would what I would do then is I would say, okay, every every twelve weeks, perfect, like you're doing. I'm going to either double down on one of my things that seems to be working. Maybe maybe. I, Maybe I'm I'm just being mean and, and a little silly with this. And your album is going to sell a million copies uh, with that. In which case, you need to double down with the music. I haven't listened. To, perhaps it's really wonderful with that, right? Um, and and so you would know after you release it whether that's the time to go and and double down and and move on for or with that or pursue another angle. Or maybe it's not even like, hey, I don't really care about the money on this one. Like I'm just doing it because I love it and think it's fun. It's part of something I want to develop with that. But if it's a financial and a business outcome, maybe that's a good framework for approaching it with 10 businesses over the next two and a half years, one every 90 days. What do you think to that? What do you think about that? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it because um, with the house hacking and increasing my W-2 income, um, hopefully with the certificate program, those are, how how would you put it, uh, tried and true ways that I can improve it. And any of my hobbies that I try throughout the 90 day goals would just, if it gives me returns, great. If it doesn't, I accomplish something that I wanted to do anyways. So, um, it's a, a good deal. <laughs> That's right. Yep. I, I, and I, I have video game goals every once in a while inside of those 90 day goals, uh, as well. I'm a, I'm a little bit of a gamer as well. So sometimes I'm like, I want to get my rank in this game up to this level or whatever, uh, in the next 90 days. So you can put those in there. That's perfectly legit. You got to have a hobby and I love those things. And if it has the opportunity to make money all the better with that. <laughs> That's actually okay. one so right now. What is? <laughs> Sorry. Perfect. What is Salesforce? Salesforce. Um, so I, uh, actually just heard about it on what is it Thursday today and I heard about it on Sunday I think is when I listened to that choose fi podcast so I'm still in the beginning of research but it's a CRM um, customer relations manager um, I think is what that stands for and uh, what what you would basically do is you manage a business's means of communicating to customers, managing their data, uh, what they collect on customers, that sort of thing, um, sales that they have, uh, relationships and when people buy stuff, how they buy stuff, that sort of thing. Um, and you're kind of like the b- behind the scenes person who fixes all the problems magically, taking spreadsheets in and putting answers out um, from what I can understand so far. Okay, so this would require a change of employment. Uh, yes, uh, I'm sh- positive the government is not on top of it to employ something like this. <laughs> <laughs> all of our, all of our <laughs> systems. There's a few of them I open, and it's like I am traveling back to 2002. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, My it would be for the changing too, employers. So. <laughs> 
it's it's an okay. interesting experience. So, <laughs> is this a work from home type of job or is this a I'm going to have to move someplace kind of job? I think it depends on who you hire with because uh, some of the positions are remote and some of them you go into the company, you know, that you are hired on to. Okay. So yeah, basically what it my... is, <laughs> is taking um, a person, say I'm the employee, uh, and the business uses Salesforce, their product, to manager, manage customer, customer relations. And then people see that I got the Salesforce certificate, businesses do, and they pull me in specifically to their company to help work with them on that specific uh, customer relation software. Okay, so this is going to change my advice a little bit then. If you don't know if you're going to be living in the same city in the next three years, I may not want you to buy a house right now. Um. On the other hand, if you bought a house now and you were able to comfortably afford the mortgage payment on the current salary, you could get your one-year owner occupancy requirement that most loans have out of the way while you're doing your Salesforce stuff. You can keep it as a rental, move out to wherever you're going to be hired at, or live there and work you know, remotely. But if you need to move, then you've already got your owner occupancy requirement. You move, you buy another house and repeat, repeat, repeat and create McKenzie's real estate empire. Yeah, that, that, that I think I, I, I love that, Mindy. I think if you're going to if you're going to do this, uh, what you kind of just described to maybe move, then that ups the stakes for making this next property. If you purchase one in your town, really an investment property, even if it's not really meeting all your lifestyle goals necessarily with that, because that you, you're going to be moving in a year it's, if, if that's the option and you're going to need it to be cash flowing more than you're going to want it to be like your perfect house. Right. Um, so then on that, uh, I guess, given that I can improve in both of the areas, getting the house hack or, and getting the job with a higher paying salary, if those deadlines butt up against each other, would you suggest one way or the other, you know, prioritize the house hack on my current salary or, um, you know, try to pursue the higher salary and move? I would pursue the higher salary and move and keep an eye out on the real estate market in case something amazing pops up. But with you making twice as much potentially at the on the low end, that's the better play in my opinion because you can't I mean you're saving 99% of your salary now you could save 199% of your current salary if you doubled your salary and we're still you know living at home you're probably not going to save 199% of your salary but it's it's a better play to generate more income okay in my opinion. that's good to know <laughs> Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think the strategy here is income and career. You're saving plenty. You've got a good approach for the investment approach, you know, with this. I, I think you're thinking about all these things the right way. You're clearly educated on the subject. Thanks to PP Money. Go us. Uh, you're, you're, you're uh, uh, you know, you've got, you've got some entrepreneurial stuff. You're setting goals with all this kind of stuff. Go take some shots there, I think. And think about the, on the real estate side, 
you know, if you're going to be in a place for a little bit of time, then the house hacking is the perfect opportunity. But right now, like, it's not really that much better, a bigger, it's not really like house hacks. Great. We should all like, I think it's the best way to start, but it's not really that much more advantageous than living for free um, with that. So it, it could actually cost you more money to house hack in the short run if you're not careful, but if you move away, then it's almost, an, almost certainly going to be the best option for that as well. And so that timeline, I think does change the the house hacking strategy part of that. Yeah, I would definitely keep an eye on the real estate market, um, especially, you know, do some research and see what our house is selling for currently. And then, you know, when a good deal comes on the market, if you already know what everything's going for, when a good deal comes on, you're able to recognize it and act quickly. Maybe some smoking hot deal comes on that makes sense to stay there, you know, for a couple more months before you transfer out. Also, the owner-occupancy agreement or the only occupancy requirement has some leeway in it. If you get a new job that's more than 100 miles away, you can leave and not be penalized. Yeah, but you, your intent, I think, I think it's all about intent and you can't intend to want to move within a year. I, I don't know the, the nuance of the law, but I imagine it covers like Eh, you can't just get the get the get the property and then move immediately afterwards. If that was kind of your plan all along, I think that that that's getting dangerously close to mortgage fraud. So, I, I, if your intent is not to live there for a full year and honor that commitment, then I, I would I'd be careful about that one. I don't know, but that would be my my reaction there. No, that's true. And I'm I'm thinking of her buying the house right now. She's just starting to look right now. And if she's, yep. you know, if she finds a house in three months and three more months later, she's got a new job that might not work out. You're right, Scott. Thank you for uh, bringing that one up. Um, we have not talked about the big R yet, the Roth, the Roth IRA, the Roth. Um, you said that your TSP is split about 50-50 between traditional and Roth. Um, So I actually had to do a lot of research into the TSP because believe it or not, it's funky like anything else government related. Um. So they match 5% of which I have taken uh, since I switched to a permanent position. Um, and the they automatically contribute 1% whether you want it or not. And that is subject to a vesting period of three years. So um, if I leave before I hit the three-year period, I don't get to take that 1% with me, but I get to take my other four. So that was a nice little thing. Um, and... It is set up so that I have 4% going towards the Roth currently and 1% to traditional. I did that because I've heard that Roth is better, but and I didn't know anything else when I set it up. So, um, But I didn't want to be all into one. But uh, one of the big questions I had for you guys is if it would be better for me to open up an individual Roth IRA um, and just fully switch my TSP over to traditional since uh, what I take out anyways has to be an equal balance of the both both accounts when I withdraw, whenever that happens. Ooh, that's a really good question. Okay, um, I'm going to answer this kind of in a bunch of different ways. So yes, I think you should open up a Roth IRA. I think you should work on maxing that out for as many years as you can. As we said with um, Kyle Mast on episode 200, he, in almost all instances, recommends the Roth over the traditional because we have 
been um, giving out a lot of uh, stimulus checks and pumping a lot of money into the economy. And there is almost assuredly a period of inflation coming our way. And one of the easiest things to cut is a Roth program. He's not, of course, we can't predict the future, but he believes that the Roth program could see some um, some cuts or even some, you know, some pullbacks. And that's a pretty easy thing to do. So as long as you can contribute to a Roth, that's a really great plan. After listening to him on episode 200, I've actually changed the way that I contribute and I am all Roth right now as well. So I would love to see you get a Roth IRA right now where you can max out up to $6,000 a year. I like the way that you're thinking about the split between the TSP and the Roth. So, um, Scott, what do you think about transitioning her TSP contributions to 100% traditional instead of Roth to kind of even it out a little bit? Um, I, I think, I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm on the Roth camp here. I think that the Roth has, so many advantages for someone starting young with this kind of stuff. You don't earn a lot of income. You can't be in a high tax bracket with this kind of stuff. So, you know, saving money on the taxes with the pre-tax stuff just doesn't make sense right now. Uh, and it probably still won't even make sense when you make 60 to 80 with the at the big raise um, that you're going to give yourself uh, coming up here shortly with that. So to me, I think I think the Roth is, I, I think that the, the balance makes sense, you know, can make some common sense when you're trying to think about it with those kinds of things. But I think if you zoom out and think about the 30 year or the 10 year plan, I, I would, I like the Roth. I put a hundred percent of my contributions into the Roth and I'm in, I'm in a higher income tax bracket, um, with this stuff today, just because I think inflation is going to occur. I think taxes are going to be higher in the future and all that kind of stuff. So I, I like, I like the Roth. I'm all, I'm all in on the Roth, <laughs> um, for personally, I, but the- I, I just opened up the show notes on Kyle's episode because I wanted to get his quote right. He said, think of paying the taxes on your Roth contributions as an investment in self. And I just thought that was so brilliant. I am paying, I mean, you're in probably one of the lowest tax brackets. You're paying taxes on that money now and it's growing tax-free until your when can you access it 55 or 59 and a half or something so you've got 30 years of tax free growth potentially um i wanted to see what scott said and i should have just known that he's roth cuz he's roth right now um yeah i wouldn't alter your contributions except to maybe put it all into a roth if that's possible um yeah i think that's entirely possible um yeah the main thing was Funky, I guess it hasn't been seen in, uh, in regular 401ks that, yeah, when you hit the retirement age and you're drawing from it, no matter what, you're paying taxes because you either have the employer contribution that pay tax because um, that's automatically that's not what you do. Or if you had put in a mix of traditional and Roth, they pull out a proportional amount from what, what the balances are. So um, I guess that was my main do you have to put it in the pre-tax one in order to get the match? Not that I know of. I, I looked at my balances and it looks like um, the employer matches is based off of both of them. Yeah, to, to me, I, I think I think 
I think that the fact that the employer, you're saying the employer contribution piece, even if it's in going into a Roth, is going to be taxed upon distribution at the end state when you, whenever you withdraw from the account, right? Correct. But the, the gains are going to be not, are not going to be taxed or they shouldn't they, they, you know, that's the point of the Roth is that the gain shouldn't be taxed. So let's say, let's say that your employer is max is contributing 5% to your, uh, 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 account here. So, and that, that's going to be $400. No, that's going to be $200. What am I doing? I'm doing terrible math here. 10% is 4,000. 5% is 2,000. There we go. Wow. Woo. All right. So they're contributing $2,000 to this, this plan. All right. Um, at, in 30 years, you put in that 2000, it's going to go, it's going to double every seven years. If it's, if you'd like the rule of 72. So you've got two, four, six or two, four, eight, 16, 32, 64. But what am I, I, I have, I have eight, four compounding periods. So two, four after seven, 14, eight, uh, then 16 at, at, uh, 21, 32, 32. So you have 32,000. You're going to withdraw that all tax-free and then you're going to pay tax on $2,000 in income. So at the end state, it's just, it's just a no, it's just like, it's inconsequential, um, from the income tax perspective relative to the, the, the benefit there versus you save, you know, um, to, in this case, you would, you would put in, you put it into the pre-tax. So now you're putting in 2000 pre-tax, you're saving 200 bucks in, in uh in taxes right now and that's going to grow to 32,000 over over the years and then you're going to pay tax at 40% of that 32,000 right like that's to me there's I'm probably doing something here I'm trying to get the mental math right but the example there it seems like so much more tax advantage to put it in into the Roth for me in this in this circumstance yeah yes i agree that the that you're doing some sort of weird mental math but i can see where you're headed and Paying the taxes up front is a better choice. Um, so I would like to see, I would like you to consider going fully into the Roth or as much as you can into the Roth. If they insist on putting it in the traditional, then put their part of the traditional and your part in the Roth. Do you have access to a 457 plan? That's I do. Um, in all the times that you've mentioned that I'm still not entirely it's kind of like a 401k light or a TSP light. Um, government employees can contribute to it if it's part of their retirement package. But when you separate from service, you can withdraw the money from that account immediately. And you're not paying any penalties. You're just paying taxes on it. So you can reduce your taxable income, which isn't a huge deal for you right now. But then you have access to it right away. So you could if it was an option for you, contribute as a government employee. And then when you separate from service, maybe you separate from service and you go travel a little bit and you can pull some of that money out or leave it in there and let it grow. Uh, it doesn't grow tax-free. You pay taxes on the other end of it, but it's another way to contribute to the retirement accounts. So if you were married to a computer programmer who was making $150,000 a year, it's a great way to reduce your a uh, marital taxable income by contributing to that as well. And I don't know, is there a Roth 457 plan as well, Scott? Are we really getting into the weeds here? 
I think we are. I, but, I have no idea so if there's a Roth 457. <laughs> I think somebody said there was. So that's an assignment for you, Mackenzie. Read through and see if a 457 plan is an option for you. If it is, listen to the Millionaire Educator episode that we released recently. Um, I guess not that recently. And he talks about the 457 plan. He also has a really great um, article about the 457 plan. And we'll link to that in the show notes for this episode, which can be found at biggerpockets.com slash money show 208. Scott, do you have any other suggestions or assignments for Mackenzie to look into before we let her go? Yeah, I I think the last thing here is, look, the the game is, got to increase that income. If you want to retire in 10 years, you got to increase the income. You probably need to do a couple of house hacks on the way and you need to invest consistently. And, you know, maybe you can shorten that period considerably if one of these side bets takes off um, that, that you're, that you're doing with that. I love the goal setting. I think you're doing everything right here. The biggest, the, the last thing I think is a, some sort of strategy of what to do with all of that cash and savings. Um, you've got a really strong emergency reserve right now. It is um, 10 years of of uh expenses <laughs> uh, in savings even even if you move even if you move out and start spending 2500 a month you've got over a year in savings so i think it's time to kind of think about like hey you know i got some excess here probably don't need to be contributing to dumping more cash into that i can probably begin thinking about investing that even if it's after tax or something and maybe begin sliding a few of those chips in at a time nothing you know no big moves but thinking about how to either use that to fund or accelerate one of your 12 week goals one of you know putting that into an investment or you know dumping it into stocks or whatever but i think i think you've got a lot of cash and uh it's time to kind of figure out you've got more cash coming in than what you know what to do with is what that signals so i think that that would be a good thing to write down kind of what you want to do with with cash going forward as well that's a good problem that's that's a side of that you're doing all the right things yeah <laughs> what do, do approves us great (laughs) i love it yeah Ah, mindy has a sticky note yeah with that so yeah invest in your roth Mm -hmm. (laughs) i do think that with you given your age having the roth and all of the years of tax-free growth that you have ahead of you um is just a no-brainer i really really love the roth plan um, and you have to have earned income in order to contribute to the Roth. So once you, let's say in 10 years, you decide, oh, okay, I don't want to work anymore. You can no longer contribute to it. So assuming that it's still available. So that's another okay. reason to contribute to the Roth right now. So, okay. Sorry, go ahead. The risk of sounding, again, to open a Roth, you just go to a brokerage firm, right? On your own? Fidelity. Yes, you can call up Fidelity and or go to Fidelity and open up an account on their website. Um, I yep. You can do this through Vanguard. You can do it through Fidelity. You can do it through E Trade. You can do it through. Um, I forget the one I had. Scott, I, had, I used to have Scott Trade because you know I liked it, that it was Scott Trade, but then they <laughs> sold to. Uh, some other firm. I have to work. So I don't remember the name of it, but yeah, they've got one, they've got one there. So there's like, we, we are, I think Mindy and I would probably be agnostic about the, the brokerage there. You know, um, one of you guys can call us to sponsor us and then we'll be your favorite. But, uh, the, the, the uh, I think in general, you could just Google any, any one of those and they're all going to be good, good, good choices, I think for the Roth. And it will be as simple as you, you, you Google it. Uh, you choose one of the big names that's got a good brand and all that kind of stuff. And then 
All you're going to do is you're going to go through some paperwork and some sign up flows, and then you're going to connect your bank account and transfer the money and invest it in your index fund or whatever it is that you would like to invest uh, in through that account, just like you would through like a Robinhood app or, you know, one of their after-tax brokerage accounts. So mechanically, you will not find it too difficult um, if you set it up through any one of those things. And Mindy does have a favorite. It rhymes with fidelity. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, would it be for me, since I already have the other brokerage accounts in index funds, do this go with Vanguard with both of them? Or is there a benefit to being That is a really good question. And I don't know that I have an answer for it. Um, Scott? The, the question is, do you go with, with Vanguard? What was it? What, can you, can you she already it has time? a Vanguard index fund. Should she, is it better to just keep everything in one pot or should she split them between the two providers? I think if you go with Fidelity, they're going to have an equivalent to Vanguard. That's going to, it's like the expense ratio is going to be like 0.6 versus 0.06 versus 0.07. It's going to be almost indistinguishable, I think, between some of these things. And Mindy likes Fidelity because she thinks it has better customer service, I believe. Uh, I have not experienced it yet, but I've, I've heard that to be the case in some cases. Um, but I think, I think it doesn't really, like the index fund is so inherently diversified that the provider Fidelity versus Vanguard diversifying amongst them to me has no real advantage. So you could just stick with what you know or whatever. It's an index fund. It's matching the market with those types of things. You you know, if you're thinking about diversification among index funds, I would really think instead of, Hey, VTSAX is what you have, right? Um, that is the entire market, all big and small stocks, right? Another alternative, and this is not investment advice, we would never give a specific one, but like I, like another alternative would be VOO, which is basically the S&P 500 version of it with larger companies. They're going to, they perform almost exactly the same over a long period of time, or they have historically, who knows what the future will bring. But like that's, if you're thinking about, you want to diversify amongst index funds, you could pick like a small cap, a small company's index fund and a large company index fund, or the whole market index fund, but you're about as diversified as you're ever going to get with VTSAX, um, at least among stocks. So that's a, there's, I don't think there's any reason to think about more diversification amongst that personally. Okay. Um, and then sorry for jumping around. I know we had moved on from the TSP, but um, another one of my questions was they automatically invest you in a life, um, but you can, to a specific area on the stock market, international stock market, that sort of thing. So would it be worthwhile for switching it over <laughs> um, to change how that is invested or leave it as a lifestyle? <laughs> so I, I would look at the expense ratios in there. Your, your plan should provide like, hey, this, 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 you know, are, are you familiar with what an expense ratio is in these index funds? Vaguely. Or in these funds? So... Yeah. They charge you to trade everything, right? To keep it balanced and invest. Close. What what it is is let's say you have ten thousand invested. The 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 fund will charge you, let's call it one percent of that every year to manage those funds for you within a plan. And inside of retirement account funds, those those fees can get really high. And that's that's ticking away real wealth from you. $100,000, that's $1,000 every year. $10,000, it's $100 every year. That's a meaningful expense. 
And the reason we like index funds, or a lot of us like index funds, is because the expense ratio, instead of being 1%, is 0.06%. So instead of spending $100 on $10,000, i am spending $0.60 cents on $10,000. On 10, um, right? And so that's that's the big advantage of of an index fund over those types of things. And so inside of these 401ks, or I don't know about the TSP, but typically even the index funds have like 1% or whatever, and there's a fee for the retirement account management or whatever it is. And so I hunt for the index fund inside of these accounts when, when I have them through my employer, and I look for the one that has the lowest active fees. So if I can get like the index... I used to have one that was called like a Great West Index Fund and one of our former providers simply because it had the lowest, it was the closest thing to an index fund with the lowest management fees. And those tend to outperform actively managed funds. That's that's how I go hunting in there. And the target date funds often can have a little bit more fees or whatever it is. So that'd be a framework to begin thinking through. But to give you get specific, we'd have to look at all of the the funds inside the plan and think about what the, what's in there. But is that helpful? Yeah, that was very helpful. Yeah, all all of your advice so far has been extremely helpful. So, <laughs> oh, great, fantastic. Well, Mackenzie, this has been a super fun talk. I love when people are just starting out. You're asking all the right questions, and honestly, you're going to be a millionaire in a minute. This is going to actually, this is not going to be so much fun. It's going to be the slog. Now you start your slog where you're like, okay, I put in $1,000. I put in $500 and now I've got $1,500 more. It's it's the slow march. But then once the snowball hits, it just starts going and going and going. I'm moving up. Snowballs go downhill, but you know, it's just going to, your, your net worth is going to go up and to the right rapidly. And I'm super excited for what the uh, what the world has in store for you. I'm going to make a note to check back in with you in about eight months and see how that Salesforce thing went, see what's going on with your real estate journey, and see how your completely Roth re- retirement accounts are going. It's good to me. I, I look forward to talking to you. Okay, wonderful. Well, we will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for your time. Yep, thank you. Okay, Scott, that was Mackenzie. What did you think of her story? I, I think she's off to a great start and she's thinking about lots of the right things. I mean, this is this is it. This is like the, the this is always the fun part of the journey, right? Like she's discovered Phi, she's gone down the rabbit hole, she's reading the books, she's setting a bunch of goals, she's got no debt, she's got a big savings account, she's got a path to making more money, and like all the options are on the table. Um, it's just exciting to be in that position, I think. And I'm really, I'm really excited to see how things progress for her. I hope some of the advice was, you know, my, my advice is deep, stay aggressive. Let's exploit some opportunities while, while you're in this position and increase that income, take a shot at a house hack, try some businesses with that, right? She's, she's got every option available to her in the world. And, um, I think it's, I think it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Exploit some opportunities, especially while you have this safety net of, your parents can catch you if you fall. You're not in such massive debt that you can go ahead and try a different job and see what happens if that's what, you know, if that's what you want to do. So, yeah, I'm super excited for her. I would like to ask the listeners if they know anything about uh we mentioned Salesforce and that seems to be a an opportunity for a high-paying job with 
very little, I don't want to say education, but very little training, and you could be making a very decent salary. Uh, Do you know of any other jobs like this? Minimal input, maximum advantage. And if you do, please share in our Facebook group. I'm going to go and start a thread at the top of the group asking for these these really great opportunities for people who are looking for ways to increase their income. Uh, So that can be found at facebook.com slash groups slash BP money. Okay, Scott, should we get out of here? Let's do it. From episode 208 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench, and I am Indy Jensen saying, hasta la vista, baby. Oh, I should have done that in an Arnold accent. Hasta la vista, baby. Nice. I like it. Was that good? Yeah. Did I sound like a I was going to do something about TSP reports. (laughs) That was way better. TPS, TSP, whatever. Okay, moving on. Oh, I don't get that. TSP there, well, it, 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 I thought it was going to work because she has a TSP, but there's TP. Okay, we're moving on. Goodbye, everyone. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Military Appreciation Month, so I'd like to personally thank all our past guests who have served and all our listeners who are serving, deployed, veterans, or in the reserves. But I'm not the only one showing appreciation. Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate their members who go above and beyond with exclusive rates, discounts, and tools. This month, join Navy Federal and get $50 when you open a credit card. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. With 24-7 U.S.-based member service and resources for veterans transitioning to civilian life, Navy Federal is here to help you reach your goals. Head to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender. Disclaimer, must join an open membership savings account between May 1st and May 31st. Annual percentage yield 0.25% for membership savings account. $5 minimum balance to open, maintain membership savings account, and to obtain bonus. Visit NavyFederal.org for more terms and conditions.